0: What happens when a pet patient requires emergency care and you can't get in touch with a client? What happens if you don't get consent and you proceed anyway? This week, we want to talk about all of the ethical issues around emergency care and what rights your team has to question them. This week on The Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And a tough topic is what do you do when a patient under your care needs emergency procedures and you can't get in touch with the client? Or what about if you're doing something that you haven't gotten consent from the client for? What about your team? Should they question you? This week, we want to talk about all of the thorny topics around this because it's summertime when we're recording this and we want you to be prepared. But before we prepare you, as always, I am one of your co-hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward.
1: And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser.
0: A lot of us will be dealing with boarding pets, right? And maybe we board them in our facilities or an adjacent facility, or maybe we have to take care of them. And Becky, there are a lot of sometimes really interesting dilemmas that we are confronted with when it comes to getting consent. And so you and I were talking about some of the stories that we've encountered. But first of all, Becky, tell the viewfinders what sparked this entire conversation, because it was something that you read from another veterinary technician.
1: Right. So I read about a circumstance that was posted online where a technician was working a relief shift and she was pulled into surgery on the relief shift, happy to do it, and started asking questions about patient status. She kind of got a little red flag, came in, there was no monitoring equipment, and then she just started asking questions about the patient themselves and about consent for surgery. At that point, without a clear answer either way, she was pretty much told it's none of her business, she's asking too many questions, settle down. And when she stood up for herself and said, I have ethical right to ask these questions, I have a technical right to ask these questions, I have a legal right to ask these questions, was asked pretty much not to come back to the practice. And um I was astounded a little bit, but then I really wasn't, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like at first I was shocked and then I was like, you know what? I bet this is happening so much. And I know I've seen and heard nightmare stories out there. I know I've been a part of these difficult decisions. I know I've done the best I can to empower my pet sitters in certain ways when I'm going to be gone. Um, So I think there's a lot of different ways we can get into sticky situations where we don't necessarily have all the information we need.
0: Right. And and Becky, you did, you presented a lot of dilemmas within that one scenario. And one thing I want to get to a little bit later is what about, you know, do we have a right as associate veterinarians or? veterinary technicians employees whatever to actually say wait a second whoa what's going on here right because that's a whole other issue which I want to talk about how you can get away and actually satisfy your, those those questions that you need to have answered but you find there's another scenario that, that I've personally encountered on numerous occasions is the fact that we did have a boarding facility uh, and we had a, we had a couple of them uh, over the years and what would happen is a dog would have an emergency and in fact the scenario I'll give you is a real one with the gdv and the owners were on a cruise in which case we couldn't get in touch with them, right? There was a period of time when no no cell service, no phone service, whatever, right? But... And I would always encourage you to do this. You need to have an emergency contact, right? So, in the event that we can't get in touch with you, who do we call next? So we were able to. This situation happens. You know, the the people on staff recognize, oh my gosh, this dog is bloating, and we run up there and said GDV. We call, no answers because the crews call the secondary person, and of course they're like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> and so sometimes it's really important to make sure that you do it. Remind that person to remind the person that they're going to be an emergency contact because this person had no clue. They just knew that. They're Their friends were out of town on a cruise. And so anyway, we walk them through the scenario and they're like, oh gosh, I don't feel comfortable giving you this information. That was a whole nother bit of drama, Becky. But in, end result was they did did a, you know give us um, the permission. And one other little pro tip here, guys, make sure you get a witness to that. So like, basically they tell me that it's okay to proceed. And then I hand it off to one of my technicians. Becky, I don't know if you ever did that, but that's a super important thing to have two people independently be able to verify that, right? So it's not just my word versus yours. It's my word and one of my staff members word versus your word, right? Yeah. So, anytime anyway.
1: I've ever had to take anything over the phone, it, it has been a two-person sign-off. So I think that's smart.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, but anyway, you may find yourself in a similar situation. So today we want to have that conversation. And and so I think that what Becky also presented there was, okay, what if you're just kind of doing this on the down low? And an and area that I've encountered, what you described, at least tangentially, Becky, is the fact that I would have people that owned boarding facilities bring in a dog Dog for like dog bite wounds and can right. you put a couple of stitches there and I'll never forget Becky. One time, this dog had a laceration on this on the side and and uh, you know here I am. I'm, I said I want, I'm going to put staples and I said oh no problem. We'll just do a local and I'll staple it up and she was like. Um, would it be possible just to put like one or two tiny sutures that maybe they wouldn't notice? And I knew what was up, right? <laughs> I knew, right? And you're in a sticky situation because that then led me to question, like, you know, do you have permission to do this? So, Becky, I'm, I'm going to leave it right there because I think I've I've given you a bunch to talk about.
1: <laughs> well, right? No, what did you do? Like, did you? I, that...
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, that last one. This was a a, a a boarding facility that I hate to say this, but they were kind of competitive, right? Because yeah. we did our own boarding and they did their own boarding. Fair. But she need, she needed us on an emergency situation. And um, she did verify, and, and, and again, you know, this is one of those things where you kind of have to take their word for it because you don't have any real documentation. But she said yes, that the people signed a release form, and then she was willing to sign a release form stating that. So, you know, I covered myself as much as possible, but I did suspect, I can't verify viewfinders, but I did suspect that this was going to be one of those things that maybe they didn't tell anybody about unless they ask about it, or maybe they had a different story. I don't know. But... We we did proceed, Becky, because they did they did tell us and they were they signed the form stating that they had permission as the guardian of this this animal. You know, and again, it's all sticky with the laws anyway.
1: Yeah, well, it is. And that I mean, I guess it's It's like, what What would you do if a parent came? um Came in yeah. and, and was mad about it. I right, mean, right. It, it's it's like, well, I I, fi- I I we have an obligation, right? Like, and I think that that's one thing we have to like remember: is you have an animal who's hurt in front of you, they're in need. You know, I'm not. I don't want to go into the weeds here, but like in emergency situations, a lot of times it's like a hit by a car that comes in that needs to be stabilized. That we don't know who right. owns this dog. We don't right. know if anybody owns this dog. Um, and you know, animal control, at least here, they have like fifty dollars to spend on any pet that they bring into an emergency clinic. That's their limit. Um, So we know we can sometimes get like just some basic stabilization done. The clinic has to make a decision if it's life-threatening. There's cases that they've had to euthanize dogs without knowing who the owner is because the animal is in severe pain and suffering. Um, All of these are terrifying moments for a veterinarian, right? These are really scary moments. Now you're in a situation where it's not like an emergency, but the dog's hurt. Something's got to happen. It can't be ignored. And it's a yucky feeling. So I think it's very important at this point, like you said, they're signing off. You have an illegal document that the person who is responsible for this animal at this moment in time, the facility, is signing off saying that they have permission to do this and that that they are going to accept financial and like emotional responsibility for what happens. Um, What I'm loving that you're bringing up though is how do we even know that the client is going to find out that they were in the clinic?
0: Right. And, and, you know, uh, Viewfinders, we did an entire podcast a few years back on how do you verify ownership, right? Because we were, we were actually talking, Becky, at the time about, like, divorce and separation and people that, you know, took the dog and the other partner wanted the dog or whatever. Um, and so this is one of those situations also where you can ask a lot of questions, but you kind of are um, – you dependent on their answer right so if this this bre- this breeder this if this boarding facility person comes in and says we have permission and i'm willing to sign a piece of paper stating that you know you kind of have to go with it i don't know much what else we can do to police that and i think we talked about that in the podcast kind of that that same conclusion
1: yeah and and there isn't a lot we can do to police it but it's a bad feeling now mm-hmm, i think like mm-hmm. we said the other side of that is now what are, what happens when they're in your care what happens right. when you can't get a hold of a client and you have to make those Um, kind of more difficult split section, second decisions. Like for me, I know I'm a cruiser. So you were talking about an instant of a folk, of folks that were on a cruise and you had to make a a life or death decision for their dog. I, I have always included the emergency contacts to the crews. The other thing I do is I leave uh, our emergency credit card for them to pay for any kind of emergencies that could come up because I know that they could actually be ex- very expensive. It might just be a fecal, right, to figure out is there right. a problem with the diarrhea and get them some metronidazole. They're stressed because mom and dad are gone, which I know those a lot of times are the cases we see, all the way to there's been a dog fight. This is my house. My dogs are at home. For the most part, They're they get along. But dog fights happen and it could and, and then, like you said, something really terrible like a GDV. It's all really scary stuff and something we need to protect ourselves against. I also generally leave a note that says I state my name, give state their name permission to make medical decisions regarding the care of my pets from this time to this time and yeah. sign it so that they have something to take to a veterinarian to show that they do have the right to say yes. This is going to be taken care of financially, and yes, this is approved to be done um but as a veterinarian, I think we and veterinary professionals, I think we can get into really hairy positions. The flip side of this is the support staff, right the right, the technicians, right. and that's the side I'm talking from though. So now, what do we do when we know our veterinarian doesn't necessarily have permission that we know our veterinarian doesn't isn't doing maybe the right thing. I shared with you a really terrible story that happened to my dad where his dog, um, they were out of town. They were stuck out of town because of intense snow. She had an intestinal blockage. The veterinarian missed it. They advised to bring her in for fluids in the morning and they would, so that they could try to drive back to their regular vet that day. Brought her in for fluids, dropped her off. They said, just go get some breakfast, whatever, come back in an hour or so. By the time they got back, they had opened her up attempted to remove the blockage and she had died in surgery wow they never contacted them they had cell phone numbers they never called them turned out they didn't even have radiology equipment on site i don't i don't quite wow. understand that um they did not have permission to perform surgery and and i'll tell you all of you out there right now are sort of like oh my gosh i would sue them i'd go after their license my dad did write a letter to the board and the board said they never got it but I think the important thing in this moment was sort of he didn't have the emotional energy to fight. He was devastated yeah, and he was right. sad. And he was like, nothing I can do will bring my dog back. He didn't have a, a vengeance to this veterinarian or the clinic. He simply just wanted his dog not to be dead. The flip side, that, so that situation you and I were talking about, me really made me think about what are these support staff feeling in this moment? Oh, by the way, they they charged him for the cremains. They oh, wow. they never gave him her cremains because she re, he refused to pay for them. Wow. Um, so well, anyway, my I was thinking to myself, what was the support staff thinking as they're assisting? knowing that they don't have any kind of permission to cut this dog open.
0: Yeah, and I'm going to give you a really common scenario, guys, that you can relate to, not judging, but this is something that I encountered a lot. So now you've got a border, it's over the holidays, and maybe they're not used to a certain diet or whatever, stressed out, yeah. and they get diarrhea, and then... A lot of times, the veterinarian might just go ahead and give them a little course of maybe metronidazole or some medication, right? Yeah. With, without permission, and honestly, a lot of times it's just like you know, hey, I don't want to, I don't want to have to like explain it to the client. You know, I don't want to risk the ire, right, of this person. So they'll just do it. Now, all is well and good, and everybody out there is listening has probably seen something like this. Uh, until it's not, right? And there are adverse events that are associated with metronidazole. And so Becky, you know, it's like all fine unless there's a, problem. And then, you know, how do you deal with that? So I think that from an ethical standpoint, you know, how would you feel if you dropped your child off at daycare, right, and it started vomiting and they're like, hey, just give him some (laughs) vinegar, give him a little IV (laughs) or whatever, (laughs) you know, and never told you, right? And and you you don't know, you don't even know this ever happened because your kid comes home, you know, eating a lollipop, (laughs) right? Is it right? Is it wrong? And I think that it's just one of those things that I think, Becky, I just want to throw it out there. Now, I will be honest with you, you know, we were, I was, I was, I I practiced in paranoia. <laughs> you know, Laura, Laura, my yeah. wife who was our administrator, was the same way. And so we we were we would call those folks up and say, hey, you know, Fluffy's got a little loose stool. Would you mind if we give him metronidazole? And we did this for two reasons. One, to disclose that, but number two, to generate revenue, right? So I I was not afraid of the, you know, risking the IR be like, hey, you know, she's stressed out or she's not, you know, maybe diet change, whatever. But I I also wanted to capture the revenue. So we did a fecal, or we're get, can we do a fecal, or whatever it might be, Becky? How do you feel about those sometimes seemingly innocent little incursions from a therapeutic perspective? Uh Should we tell them? Do we not? What do you do?
1: You have to tell them, like literally, you have to tell them. It is, it is be, because of this. Because I live by the personal philosophy: if I tell you, it's a reason. If you have to ask me, it's an excuse. Right. And. It'll be something so subtle as the next time that dog comes in, a kennel tech is like, "Oh, last time I saw you, I was getting you to swallow those pills for all the diarrhea you right, sprayed on right. the wall, right?" My, and all that's sudden, my luck. Mom's like, "What? Wait, what happened?" <laughs> so we we want to tell them if it is important enough that we do something, then we tell the client, "Hey, there was a little, uh, e- even if we, so so." A lot of places, and if you don't do this, I think this is really great. Part of your boarding and daycare or drop off is common. These are common situations. What do you want us to do if, right? Right. Like right. if if we have diarrhea, treat like you would. Call me first. Do what you know. Whatever. Um, I think those are great ways to just sort of establish client relationships and have an idea of, of what that looks like. Um, and get that permission in the front end and then on the back end you give it as part of the report card. Um, you know, fluffy did great, ate really good. looks like on Tuesday we had some diarrhea didn't want to eat. This is what we did in response by Wednesday everything was fine. I think this is going to show clients that you are being hyper vigilant and safe with their pets that you are um, helping them in helping the pet and 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 supporting their vacation and their downtime because you asked ahead of time but like if it ever comes out on the back end of things it is like here's a great example if in my experience f- we see urinary tract infections come after boarding right they right, go home right. all this they've had a stress cystitis now all of a sudden we've got antibiotics on board that could affect a culture and sensitivity but the client doesn't know there's culture that there's an antibiotic on board Um, so it's to me an example of like oh crap now we have to go back and say something it just doesn't maybe look is good if we kind of have to explain it later. So I think being really upfront about it is a number one most important thing. If your client doesn't trust you enough to treat the pet while they're there, then they probably shouldn't be leaving them with you in the first place. The other part of this, I think, is our ability to train our clients who are not boarding with us. So this is a coachable moment for our clients when they're getting their Bordetella vaccine because they're getting ready to drop off at boarding because they're going to visit, you know, whoever and they're going to be on vacation. Coach your client through, provide them with some templates that say, oh, drop this off with your dog. It's all built in. It's got all our emergency information, our addresses and permission for us to treat your pet if there's an emergency.
0: Yep, I love that. And again, you know, viewfinders, most of us, when they have the drop-off for for surgery care, for staying overnight, for boarding, whatever you may do, we do typically have, you know, a little statement in there saying that should your pet require emergency care, you know, you're giving us uh, the authority to do so and you're responsible for any fees incurred and all that kind of stuff. But it, it you do need to go the extra mile. I, I don't think you can just rely on that statement that nobody read and signed anyway. So I think, right. you know, it's just the right thing to do. But Becky, let's, let's kind of go back to this. So all these little situations we've laid out, but let's say that whether it's something as serious as an anesthetic surgery or as minor seemingly as metronidazole or loperamide to a you know, dog or cat with loose stool in your clinic for boarding, um, what happens when the staff says, wait, is this okay to do? Like, Give us some, some scenarios around that and, and maybe your advice on how they can bring that up to the attending veterinarian you know, in a way that, that is diplomatic and non-threatening.
1: It was, oh, so <laughs> it shouldn't be threatening for any one of your staff to ask the ethics, the the morals and the reasoning behind medicine. And if you think that it is, you, I,
0: the, I would you like you to do problems, some soul right? searching.
1: I'd like you to right. put, potentially consider some counseling and I'd like you to look into the definition of narcissism. I think that <laughs> is appalling. Um I would respect the daylights out of an employee who, would. first of all, the idea that you have to ask makes me worried, right? So yeah. this particular technician walked in, there's no monitoring equipment, so she was like, oh, I see we're missing the baselines, so maybe I'll go even further back and just check and see if we're allowed to do this. Um I personally think she did the absolute right thing. Not only did she stand up for herself, she stood up for the patient. She stood up for patient rights. And she is a registered, credentialed technician who has a license to lose, but more than that, a license that she worked for that she earned for a reason because her pride in her profession. And she has every right when you are asking a support staff member of any kind to facilitate and to assist you in keeping an animal alive and providing patient care, they are entitled, as far as I'm concerned, to all the information you have. Um, nothing should be a secret. Nothing's proprietary <laughs> in the medical care of our patients. Yeah. And if you don't understand why they're asking the questions and you have questions to ask, but you most certainly don't have the right to tell somebody it is none of their business while they maintain your patient's life support.
0: Yeah. And viewfinders, the the news media and medical boards are littered with cases where, you know, people were veterinarians in particular, and well, specifically with medical boards, have done things that were highly inappropriate, illegal, negligent, and malpractice and all that stuff. And nobody spoke up, right? And then, you know, upon investigation, it's like, well, yeah, you know, they did this and they were doing that. And, you know, I didn't know what I should do or how to handle it or whatever. So we're just saying, you know, you should feel empowered to bring this up because some of the the Things might seem minor today, but they could actually lead to much more serious consequences that could involve you.
1: Well, I, I they will eventually, right? I, I 100% agree with that. I've seen it entirely too often, you know, which is I think the really sad part. And 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 I have a, a lecture that I do on the circuit that's ethical confrontational ethical situations for technicians and really all veterinary professionals across the field. And I've done this lecture probably like four or five years now. I've done it for a while and I've seen a shift. I have seen a shift in the ability and the confidence of support staff members to say, I would absolutely question that. I would absolutely walk out. I would absolutely quit right then and there. I remember... um In the very beginning, there was often a note of like, well, I don't want to make the the vet mad. and Well, I don't want to make the client mad. I have seen this shift happen over the last four or five years to where people are like, forget your feelings. I'm worried about the pet. I'm worried about the ethics. I'm worried about myself. And I love that. Um, This technician was working a relief shift. She's like, I don't need you. You need me. And if you need to hide things from me, you got the wrong me up in here. And I will be more than happy not to come back. Um... Her point of posting it was sort of the like, am I the A here question, right? Like, did right, I, right. was I wrong? Um, she got a lot of support from her colleagues, as I think she should have. In again, if you are in a clinic and you're being asked to do a medical procedure, you have a right to ask every single question you feel like you need to do to perform your job ethically and safely.
0: Yeah, and you know, if you finders, I think the other part of this equation is to ask, you know, okay, Becky's right. You know, back back twenty years ago, this would have been you know sacrosanct. You would have said, oh my gosh, I would never dare speak out, Yeah, Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. And if you did, oh, you and you'd never
1: get another relief job ever. That's the other part of it, right?
0: Yeah, right. But I think that number. I, I think there are multitude of reasons, but some of the important factors are number one, the profession has grown so in size. So anytime there's more of us, you feel more protected, right? Herd mentality, and it's like you know, there's more of us. Second thing is we're sharing stories more openly. Social media is one of the... This is a facilitator of that, right? But but just, again, just being able to hear people like Becky speak on the, these topics, which were not talked about 20 years ago, that really accelerates change as well. You know, Becky, you guys know more than you did 20 years ago. I mean, your knowledge base is... You know, light years beyond what it was, right? Well, I mean, we've we got BTSs, were, and then and yeah. you know the question, right? I was just to say,
1: what? I think we know what we knew 20 years ago. I don't think we were ever second-class citizens. I just think there were less credentialed staff members, and so there were less of us in our position. There was less of yeah. us in our profession. So it was filled by non-professional individuals, and those are non-credentialed individuals who were at the mercy of on-the-job learning. We're still not only as baseline educated, but even going beyond that. But your baseline credentialed, educated technician who has a credential is passed VTNE, or has every single you know ad, ad, our educated individuals who, and, and I don't think that has changed a whole lot over the twenty years. Just the availability and the acceptance of our role, and the acceptance of our of our knowledge is. I guess what I want to say is a gentle pushback is we didn't change, the industry did. We didn't change, they started to accept us for who we are and include us. And that is the important part. And that's the allyship. That's the inclusion that yeah. comes in this profession that we're seeking because we have always been highly educated, driven professionals. That's why there is a VTS, because they continue to push themselves further and and farther and harder. Um, but the veterinarians, the folks paving the path. Folks like you, even Dr. Ernie, who say six years ago, I want to start a podcast. I want to do something innovative. Technicians need to be a part of that. That has been really what has changed that. Not us, actually.
0: Yeah, and I, we've got a long way to go because uh, you know I hate Ooh, to remind you yeah. finders, but just a couple of years ago at the AVMA, there might have been a veterinarian who spoke up and said you guys were like camels and camels in a tent. So so anyway, you know, I still think we got a long way to go. But but I agree with you, right? I mean, we're trying to change the confidence of, of our support staff and veterinary technicians is just growing, and that's important because you know if you think about this on the human side, Becky, I mean, you know, there are a lot of layers there that ensure. I mean, yeah, you know, like there are, I'm sure that it happens probably a lot more frequently than we'll ever know about where there are RNs that are like, hey, I don't know if this is the right drug or treatment or procedure or whatever, right? I mean, and, and again, that's the way it should be. We should be working collaboratively and that means sometimes giving a different opinion, right? Because this is only benefiting patient care. That young veterinary technician who spoke up about, wait a second, are we even supposed to be doing this? Do we even have permission to do this? We don't We don't even have the equipment to do this. Do they know that? Um, I think they were not, trying to say, you're a bad vet or a bad clinic. They're trying to say, are we doing things the right way? And honestly, Becky had that conversation, I'm guessing gone like this. Yes. You know, yeah, we've talked to the client. They know that we don't have this or that or the other, um, but they know it's the best we can do for their, their pet uh, and they're happy. You know, we're, we're glad we're able to help them. I think it's a very different outcome as far as that, that social media post goes. What do you think?
1: Oh, I mean, 100% yes. And in general, I guess just, I'm kind of like, who do you think you are that you don't have a right, right to include your team in the medicine. Um and, and if you're in a clinic where they're not treating you like you have the right to be included in medicine as an equal, like because yeah. information is not execution, right? Like, so just because you know it doesn't mean you're taking over the surgery. It, it's your, it's your fulfilling your role. You need to be seen as an equal team member in your position um, within this profession. And I keep saying that, you know, our role is a profession, not a position. And so, if you cannot accept us and, and treat us as professionals, you don't deserve us. And you can figure out how to do that surgery by yourself, since you're the only one entitled to that information.
0: <laughs> <I> <laughs> I'm so it. mad. Well, Viewfinders, I hope this conversation will catalyze a few conversations in your clinic because, you know, this is summertime and a lot of us are seeing a lot of boarding pets and a lot of us are going to be treating pets that have been boarded elsewhere. So I'd really like to know your thoughts and opinions, your experiences, and maybe some advice you might have for all of us to try to handle this situation. So how can they share some of that advice with us, Becky?
1: Yeah, you guys can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Veterinary Viewfinder and send us an email at veterinaryviewfinder at gmail.com.
0: Guys, good luck the rest of this summer. We hope it's uneventful and everything is perfectly easy and you don't have any problems. But if you do, at least you can be prepared. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. All right. What do you think? Pretty
1: good.